that like FOMO of being too young to really appreciate the Bulls then. Yeah. Because when I really started to like, um, you know, be able to follow the NBA more closely is when the Bulls are just terrible. Like Jamal Crawford was my favorite player growing up because, right. yeah, the Bulls sucked and he was the only like bright spot. Yeah. And I'm yeah. missing the game for sure. I'm missing NBA. I sound like a retired yeah. mm-hmm. player when I say I'm missing the game, but I'm <laughs> I miss the game. I miss man. it. Yeah, I don't know what to do with myself without the game. <laughs> um, but like what I've been doing, what I did last weekend, um, and I want to keep doing is I watched like an old, like an old game, but it was like something that I watched, you know. So, so mm-hmm. like it was Kobe in Game Seven versus Boston uh, mm. when they, you know, when they won, and I and. I, I need to find a new streaming, like a new way to do it, because I streamed on YouTube, so the quality was horrible. But nevertheless, oh, it was yeah. still super cool. So I'm kind of more about like doing something like that, just watching old uh, Kobe Finals games and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, especially like pay my respects and stuff. And I think, like I, I mean, as you see my room, I definitely have had a, mo- a phase of appreciating MJ. I like. I feel like I never had that phase of just being like super into Kobe, you know. I feel mm-hmm. like he he just killed it in the league and I was always kind of uh uh rooting against him and then all of a sudden he was gone and I was like it was like his twilight years and um and that was when I really started to appreciate <laughs> him. So I kind of want to watch yeah. his like prime time, you know, just monster games again uh yeah and yeah I, yeah it's weird because michael jordan was has always been like this for the most part this worshipped idol but then mm-hmm. when you have guys like kobe and lebron they're in their prime like universally hated because they just dominate yeah, other teams and I, and I just think that people uh downgrade uh they've always been downgrading the modern nba and i mm-hmm. i hate it like uh they're always like if anybody ever does anything well, they're just like, well, they're not Jordan. Yeah. You know what happened? They're not what happened in the nineties and all this shit and just downgrading everybody. Cause it's not as physical or something <laughs> like just cause it's not as physical. Doesn't mean it's not competitive and doesn't mean that it doesn't evolve to something yeah. else. It's yeah. There's uh, always, it's nostalgia. similar to like nineties hip hop and like modern hip hop. Like people just like downgrade everything that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Music in general like older people will talk about how terrible music is <laughs> yeah not even that not even that old too. yeah not there you know like even like people our age classic like, rock are, are like yeah. that yeah they're just so uh yeah, yeah it, can't stuff, get enough of classic rock stuff evolves though yeah then that's what makes it fresh and unique if we just heard yeah. the same if we just heard you know 30 led zeppelins new led zeppelins every year people <laughs> I, get I, sick that's of exactly it. what it is too it's always yeah. led zeppelin the people who love led zeppelin but yeah, it's like there's a there's so many people uh, who just love to like like in their head there is no good music that has been out for the past like twenty years yeah which is so absurd yeah to think about I uh, yeah I I mean we could make a whole like list of things that people uh, freak out about like nostalgia wise SNL is the same thing people are like it hasn't been funny since the seventies it's like you didn't watch in the seventies. <laughs> i'm like that but i i i say like it hasn't been funny it well i wouldn't i won't say it hasn't been funny it's totally been funny yeah. but i'd say what hasn't been like great no since like when we were since when since like 2010 the 20, 2000s yeah uh, the 2000s snl um and 
But my thing is that um, SNL like, is yeah, since the seventies is ridiculous yeah. with all the talent because they're like, oh, Bill there. Murray was there, and it's like, yeah, even Bill Murray was on shitty episodes of SNL. Like S- SNL yeah. has always been like hit or miss. Exactly. I, I, there's a lot of sketches that don't yeah. work. It's part of the you do a weekly show, show, a weekly show where you have to have new sketches every week. Like, mm-hmm. and you think about how many sketches people actually remember in the forty something years that it's been around. There's not that many. So yeah, you're gonna have more crap than yeah good stuff. Yeah. I feel like the like the '90s Bulls though is something that comes up every year in discussion. I, I think it parts from like following uh, uh, sports media. So like like because just if because LeBron has a great year pretty much every season, mm-hmm. and so then they'll break down the stats and they always compare it to Jordan, and then they just basically like tear down like the any argument of LeBron being the greatest. That's all they're just trying to yeah. do is just tear down the argument of LeBron being the greatest. And then like occasionally one person will be like, you know, like I think Scottie Pippen once said it. He's like, I think LeBron is the greatest. And then someone will say and then everyone will bounce what? on them like like yeah. like it's the craziest thing. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, yeah, it's it's so hard to compare things like that because people in the NBA now players in the NBA are so much bigger and stronger than guys back then. Like, you know, Scottie Pippen was still like this random kid grew up in a small town who like, he didn't lift weights. He did yeah. something else as a kid to like build up strength. And, yeah. but now all these guys are doing these workout regimens and getting so big and strong. Like LeBron is a physical LeBron specimen. Like, yeah. yeah. I've heard the stats of what he's spent like the amount of money he spends on his body per year <laughs> and like like it's an insane amount of money and like mil you know of course millions of dollars and so when you do something like that and you're just dedicated yeah it just shows like how someone like him is able to just keep it up yeah. and just have an elite season and be arguably still the greatest player at age 35 yeah after you know doing all doing all he's done mm-hmm. yeah yeah, that's where I, I just get lost on the whole Jordan versus LeBron debate because as a biased Bulls fan, I would just say Jordan, but ultimately I you can't compare them because it's completely different. Yeah. yeah. I'm a little biased nowadays with just like what I because I've like I like to support uh my era of basketball. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm just like a natural uh contrarian. <laughs> um and and so like i don't know and just because everyone bashes the this era even everyone even people who like it they're like everyone's weak mm-hmm. it's weak shit you know <laughs> well it's like well look how skilled everybody is everyone is so yeah. skilled now like there's players who can do things that you know have never it's you've never seen anything like yeah it. They, the game keeps getting better and better which is why in 15 years we'll probably be comparing some new guy to lebron yeah, yeah so. right it's just that yeah it's i like I, in, a, in a way i get it so mj is not forgotten yeah. uh in a way we'll see you know we'll see in like uh the 2020s and the uh 2030s like how big the hype still is around jordan because it's still just going yeah. it's still going especially with this uh this documentary yeah being out it says feels as huge now yeah and there are people watching the documentary who weren't even born by you know when the 90s bulls yeah. were even 
doing anything. I mean, so. for the people who were like uh, born in say 2010 or something like that, for those kids, it's a good thing. Yeah, because <laughs> they're probably like, what, the, what, <laughs> MJ. Yeah, I like Steph Curry. Like, who's this MJ guy? Right. Yeah, they're barely gonna remember, you know, the days of LeBron at that point. So yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a cycle. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like the straight out of Compton of documentaries. Everyone's <laughs> <laughs> jumps on yeah. it. Yeah, it's. I mean, it feeds to to nostalgia, which is huge now, especially '90s nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Yep, because all those damn millennials. But uh, yeah, well, along with that, uh, I also watched some movies in the past week, which yeah, I did we can too. Talk about. I don't have as big of a list, um, but it is still a respectable week. Yeah, I, I've got three individual ones and then the three okay, crossovers we do. So I think I got a solid I've, six there. I have, um, I've got like five, but two are in like a two are like you know it's are like connected. Oh yeah. Uh yeah. Package exactly. deal. So mm-hmm. I have like four. Yeah, I have like four. Yeah, well. Uh, That's around the same. What should we uh, what should we look over first? All right, I'll I'll start with uh, the first movie I watched uh, of this new week, uh, and it's. Uh, it's related to a movie we recently talked about in a previous episode. Uh, it's a Clint Eastwood 2020 film, Richard Jewell. Ah, yes. Yeah, I uh, wanted to t- see this for a little bit. And um, I got to admit, like, I did not have high expectations for it because I've never really, really, really liked um, a Clint Eastwood movie that much uh, that he's directed. <laughs> mm-hmm. That is that he's directed um but i actually really liked richard jewell i thought it was yeah i was really uh surprised how much i liked it um just thought it was a solid solid story all around and with a uh um with a very uh good message it's uh it's as good it's as good of an anti like authority movie uh anti-establishment movie that clint eastwood the 90 year old uh (laughs) republican could make (laughs) um and this uh this guy who plays richard jewell um I believe he's in other things I've heard, but uh, Paul Walter Hauser. Oh yeah, uh, he was in I Tanya. He is fan. He, he is fan- really good in that, actually. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, he is fantastic in Richard Jewell. Super, just like likable as a, um, as just an innocent, um, an innocent uh, like everyman uh, mm-hmm. who really just ha- holds like po- you know being a police officer and just being you know, in a position of protecting the public as like a serious, um, you know, as a serious and very noble responsibility. And it's like, and it's a very admirable character as like this whole media frenzy, uh, goes around what happens, um, at, uh, the, what is this? The in Atlanta. I'm not, I don't have the park. I don't have the park's name on the top of my head, <laughs> but, but he's uh, like, it's kind of, kind of, um, his arc through the movie is very strong as he, 
he's kind of just being fucked over by like the FBI and the media and the, you know, argue, you know, maybe the United States government even. And as he's, you know, learns this, he kind of learns that law enforcement is just not what he, you know, thought it was like what he always uh, dreamed he wanted to be. Um, and it's just, and it's done, it's done very well with a, you know, supporting cast with John Hamm and Olivia Wilde, who both play just very despicable characters, um, <laughs> pretty well. Uh, Olivia Wilde is one of the most despicable journalists in <laughs> movies I've seen in a while. Um, I heard there was a lot of controversy with her character because her, I think so. The yeah. family of that journalist was like really insulted by the way she was portrayed or something. Yeah. Cause she's, yeah, she's horrible. <laughs> she's horrible. There's a scene like in the first, like, you know, in the first, like around the inciting incident where John Hamm's just having like a, uh, he's having like a, an old fashioned in a bar as John Hamm would. <laughs> and she just comes up to him and immediately gets in his face and tries to seduce him for like information on the case and he immediately goes like just gives him the her the info about um Richard Jewell um and she prints it <laughs> like immediately yeah it's pretty uh, um it's pretty awful um the rest of the cast too like Sa- Sam Rockwell plays Richard Jewell's uh lawyer um and he's kind of a super like anti-government lawyer type guy like there's a poster behind his desk that you see a million times that says i fear government more than terrorism and you (laughs) literally see this sign behind him like eight times (laughs) um that's definitely and you're and you're like hmm i wonder what sam rockwell uh thinks i wonder (laughs) what his ideas are um and so then he starts defending (laughs) richard jewell and it's just like a great like lawyer um lawyer uh relationship um and then also kathy bates plays richard Mm. jewell's mom and she is fantastic at just looking so sad as all this goes down. <laughs> nice. So, yeah. So, yeah, I highly recommend uh, Richard Jewell. It uh, really surprised me. Cool. That, I, I'm going to be honest. I wasn't super excited to see Richard Jewell when it came out because it just seemed like another one of these Clint Eastwood makes uh, a movie about something that happened in real life and yeah. injects his own thoughts and opinions in it but uh yeah no i've i also heard good things about it overall so um yeah that sounds good and heard good things about the lead actor in it who plays richard jewell and i definitely liked him a lot in i tanya so nice yeah he probably was um i think him and sam rockwell might have been nominated for academy awards i don't recall Hmm. yeah um yeah i wouldn't be surprised though cool all right uh, then I'll move on to something that I saw. I think this is right after our last episode, a movie I thoroughly enjoyed called The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Mm. Uh, and this is a Peter Yates movie. My, I think my first Peter Yates film. He also did, he did some other action movies back in the day with like Steve McQueen. Um, but anyway, The Friends of Eddie Coyle stars Robert Mitchum. Uh, an old Robert Mitchum, uh, and also Peter Boyle. Most people remember him as <laughs> Raymond's dad, <laughs> and everybody loves Raymond, but he's very different in this. Um, but uh, anyway, it's basically about 
Robert Mitchum is this, um, much like the mule, he's not a drug mule, but he is sort of a, he's a middleman for selling weapons to the mob. And he's just Mm. getting towards the, not the end of his life really, but he's just older. He's like retirement age and he's just wanting to put it behind him. So uh, he agrees to be uh, an FBI informant and um, ultimately ends up getting um, shafted by both the FBI and other informants for the FBI. Uh, And Robert Mitchum is great uh great in this a very uh empathetic mobster type guy much like the irishman um Mm. those are they're very different movies but uh i would compare the friends of eddie coyle to something more like uh dog day afternoon or uh even yeah i mean i see that this is a 70s movie that's really all i know about it and uh yeah, yeah, I, I, I sure, I'm sure stylistically it's kind of like Taxi Driver and yep. Clute, which we watched last week. Uh, yep. I yeah, I'll watch anything from the 70s. Yeah, I was going to say, like we talked about last time, I think this is one that you would watch and you'd be like, a 70s movie. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. 70s. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. And uh, yeah, this, it was a cool movie. There's a lot of... Yeah, they're all cool. They're all super yeah. cool. A lot of very tense cool bank robbing scenes it's like definitely a huge inspiration on the town the ben affleck movie from like 10 years ago it's cool clearly an influence on that um okay cool it also reminded me a little bit of the killing the kubrick movie oh yeah which is like the best heist film yeah there's a lot of really terrifying uh bank robbing scenes um because they feel so real nice um and yeah, just a lot of great moments of tension in general when, um, you know, every, everything seems okay, but the slightest little inkling of it not being okay causes, you know, a character to be super paranoid mm-hmm. um, about something happening. And you can see characters in here because there's so many different informants and um, nobody really trusts each other that it's, as a viewer, it's hard for you to know who to trust too um and yeah i just thought it was a really really well done fun cool 70s crime movie um and yeah i I don't think i've seen a movie with robert mitchum this old um (laughs) and he was yeah i mean he was great in it so uh yeah i would really recommend uh the friends of eddie coyle uh yeah i feel like like when you you branch out on your on your own you you tend to find like really intense movies, yeah. <laughs> you know, like like that White Heat movie. White Heat, yeah. Just really easily like thrilling movies, stuff like that. Yeah, and that's uh, yeah, those that's exactly why I really like both of these, uh, both of those movies because they're just really good, well done crime thrillers. That no matter how many just you know blockbuster crime movies you've seen. It's still going to keep you on the edge of your seat and uh, interested. Um, so, yeah, I really liked Friends of Eddie Coyle. Is definitely something up my uh, wheelhouse. So, yeah. Cool. Uh, so, which one of these shall we do first? All right. Now we got some overlap. Um, do you want to go with... Um, I think you watched this most recently. The, the Hunger? Hunger? 
yeah, yeah. I just watched uh, The Hunger tonight, and uh, yeah, wow. That uh, our second vampire movie in yes. a couple weeks, and uh, I liked Near Dark a lot, but I'd say this one's like more of a like um, like a perfect like movie, <laughs> you know, you know, like in comparison to Near Dark, like more. Uh, I don't know, more realized and more uh, just well thought out and all the way through just kind of had me under its uh, under its spell. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, this is not like any Tony Scott movie I've seen, that's for sure. I was very uh, surprised how like hypnotic it was and uh, how just cool and scary it looked and uh, how unique of a horror film this was. Yeah, I was in it right away. The, the very first scene, it's so weird and kind of off yeah. the wall that it, it yeah, hooked yeah. me. Yeah, it really is, yeah. And I, I honestly had no idea what to expect going in. I had no idea Same. David Bowie was in it or Susan Sarandon. Um, and, yeah, the other Tony Scott movies I've seen have been like Top Gun, uh, Taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3, uh yeah those ones and this is way different than that but yeah yeah they're all like way more i feel like he's really well known as a um a like a populist director you know like Mm -hmm. way more of a guy who's like you know paying homage more to like classic hollywood and stuff like that and like you know just action movies that type of shit but here he makes like an art house horror film um that's really effective yeah Near Near Dark is a great like, um, great movie to watch with a group of friends. You know, just want to mm-hmm. watch a movie, some eighties Definitely. movie. Then this is yeah, something completely different. Yeah, very. This is one of those where you're like, do not talk during this. Yeah, movie, no, please. definitely not. Yeah, yeah, it's just so haunting and eerie. Yeah, like the, the way time. the the house looks and the way they shoot the house, like the color of the house is so great and there's just great great music always playing that's yeah 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 no i i'm glad you uh i'm glad you brought this to my attention uh because i had never never heard of the hunger didn't know anything about it and uh yeah liked it way more than i anticipated um yeah there's some uh musical crossover between this movie and another tony scott movie um Yeah, like how we were talking about how there's musical crossover when like Howard Hawks' westerns. Oh um, yeah. In so in True Romance, uh, there's that scene that that you know the biggest scene of True Romance where Dennis Hopper's faced off with Christopher Walken and Quentin Tarantino has all these n words in the scene. Um, you know what I'm talking about? I, I haven't seen True Ra- True Romance, but I've oh wow I know okay, the I'm scene super- you're talking about. You've se- have you seen it or have you heard of I it? I mean, I've seen I've seen clips from it. I know I know. Yeah, I mean, it's probably it, played on it. every like film site and stuff. But anyways, yeah. during that scene, um, th- th- it plays this like that one t- that one tune. that's like da 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 and but it's like an opera oh yeah thing. Yeah, 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 yeah yeah and mm-hmm. and so and the so the main <laughs> miriam the vampire in this film while she's like seducing susan sarandon to uh basically take over her body is like playing that exact song uh on the piano uh so yeah that's just something that wow jumped yeah. out at me interesting yeah i didn't know until this either that tony scott is ridley scott's brother 
Uh, oh. <laughs> I had no idea until uh, until this. But when so the film started, I was kind of like, it kind of, I was trying to pick apart kind of like what it, what it it's really not like, um, I can't, it's really, you really can't compare it to anything. But mm, yeah. um, I, at first I was kind of like, hmm, this is giving me some like alien vibes a little bit. Because I was yeah. like, this is, this is something more like his brother would make. Because mm-hmm. I, I really just didn't, you know, after all the, films i've seen from tony scott he's never made anything like this and it's one of his possibly his first feature film uh so yeah yeah i think it was really surprising yeah and in the beginning i was uh so confused by it felt very chaotic um at the get-go and mm. i but yeah. i was still so invested in it because i i had to figure out you know where this was going and uh yeah and it wasn't it wasn't really a straightforward zombie and it, or not zombie, vampire and it's movie. like and it's like connecting between uh like sarandon's sarandon's job at the doctor office and all her research to like just all this weird shit going on with david bowie at mm. miriam's <laughs> house um and yeah so i that kind of uh it felt for me very uh maybe a little confusing as well but as the like movie progressed i like looked back on all that and i yeah. was like oh okay so no way that all works because now she's here and she's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> here and david bowie's like all fucked up <laughs> and yeah yeah and the oh and and the um but definitely before we move on from this film uh the the effects on like the the like ultra aging of david bowie and um, all the other victims yeah. of the vampire are just really creepy and like, um, and are very just like really like creepy and creep scary and like a like because it's just feels very sad. Yeah, you know, I feel like it just very really like illustrates like a just like a loss of life and a loss of time and, and shit like that. And it's just it's just rough. Yeah, <laughs> it's just rough looking stuff. Cause it, well, it makes you. Um, it makes you empathize with David Bowie too, because he's you know he thinks yeah. he gets this eternal life, but uh, exactly yeah, exactly. but he looks terrible. It's not at yeah. all what he thought it would be. And then uh, as you find out that you know the same thing has happened to several people, as Miriam Tons is like people, hundreds yeah. of years old. So yeah, uh, yeah, it's it really makes you understand what can drive these like mummified vampires to do what they yeah, do. yeah exactly and the end as they all kind of crawl up on her is like the ending is so uh great yeah terrifying the, cl- the climax gripping, is so, yeah. yeah yeah the hunger i would really uh i would really recommend that one i think it's really solid uh horror movie that doesn't get enough uh, attention yeah. yeah for sure if you have the criterion uh collection it leaves next week yes so catch it sooner than later so like watch it bro yeah dude watch it right after the last dance good uh, double (laughs) feature yeah uh so i guess i'll do my duo now my i i I would love to say trilogy speaking of double features yeah it's yeah it's not a trilogy yet (laughs) um uh so i i rewatched uh I rewatched Grown Ups uh, over right. the weekend, uh, and then I watched Grown Ups Two because <laughs> yeah. I had never because I had never seen it. 
I don't think I've seen Grown Ups 2 either. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's and weirdly it's not like anywhere for free. You'd think it for sure would be, but yeah. me and my brother had to rent it. <laughs> like pay money. <laughs> yeah, you figure uh, that's got to be on Netflix or HBO constantly. Yeah. Yeah, and so Grown Ups I've seen like a shit ton. Um actually. I don't know if this is a a hot take or not, but I actually enjoy Grown Ups. It's not a great movie, but I it's, yeah I was about as, to like yeah I was yeah. about to go the contrarian route in a way like I feel like uh, the grown ups mo- grown ups get so much hate you know mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it just gets so much hate it's so easy to hate on and everyone's just like oh grown ups it's so like lazy and so lazy and uh and uh i don't know there's probably something else they say about it other than yeah. that, it's a lazy it's, it was like and it's got no plot or conflict at all and like it's just so easy for like a film dude to like rip apart yeah. you know it's just like adam sandler wanted to take a vacation yeah with exactly. his buddies and yeah uh, yeah and what after re-watching grown-ups for probably like the 11th or 12th time oh my like, god i've seen this movie a shit ton <laughs> wow you're movie. not kidding yeah yeah i've seen it a shit ton <laughs> i kind of and, and i there have been a lot of times where um i was watching this movie and i was just i was kind of like oh fuck this movie it's so dumb <laughs> you know <laughs> but as on rewatching, i was just kind of like this movie is so harmless yeah you know for like the hate it gets like yes it's very uh it starts off very awkward um, and and arguably is awkward for a lot of it because like a lot of the jokes are just like just don't land and the, and you feel the movie feels like it's ri- it was written in an hour. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. It's just so harmless. It really is. It's, it, there's so much worse movies out there. And I, like as you get used to everything, it kind of becomes like really fun as it goes on like it's just like you just stop like you stop giving a shit yeah um and the jokes and some of the jokes actually start to land um and and you just like everybody there so it's like you're basically just hanging out with everybody there yeah right it's it's a very easygoing movie i know it's so easy yeah, i would yeah, watch I, I any day of the week yeah <laughs> yeah yeah seriously like like when they're at the water park and shit, I was like, kind of like, I was kind of like, I was like, yeah, they're going down all the slides, <laughs> <laughs> you know. It's just like, it's just like so, it's just like fun. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's fun family movie that's, uh, yeah, has a bunch of comedic titans in it. Yeah, and there's a lot of lines from there that I've actually I've heard people, not like huge film buffs. But people talk like like I want to get chocolate yeah. wasted and like they in think that's hilarious. Culture, popular culture, yeah. Say, yeah. And I'm like, eh, I don't like when I hear that, it makes me not like it. But then I watch it and it's yeah, it's just a just a fun movie. Because yeah, a line like chocolatey, these, like, a line like chocolatey wasted is just like yeah, it, it does like, make you cringe as like a joke. There is are that some, really funny? Yeah, is it? There are some crin- there's some cringy like joke moments and yeah. jokes throughout. And I would also, um, this is reminding me of Kevin James uh, and his YouTube channel, which have you watched any of his YouTube <laughs> no. videos? No. So like a month ago, he started a YouTube channel with these really well-made videos and they're all like two or uh, three minutes long. And they're yeah. actually, they're actually pretty good. I've only seen Whoa. like half of them, but. was it about? They're all, they're all like random. 
so he does ones that are he's like the sound guy um he was the sound like on set like on set yeah he was a he's sound like guy and being a sound guy on set yeah uh, what was one of them was so good out uh, the notebook he was the he's the sound guy on the notebook and oh okay and so it, they're like they're like sketch comedy yeah oh all these like random sketches there's my favorite one is like the misread wave or something like that hmm. uh, they're actually really really funny um so yeah nice. I, would, I would recommend them um i would say out of the whole cast in grown-ups besides rob schneider maybe uh i would say kevin james is trying the most yeah. in it to like yeah. get the laughs because there's every scene almost every scene he has a joke where he's like He's like, yeah. He's like, all right. I'll have uh, ten burgers and ten fries. All right, that's what I'm having. What, what about you guys? He's like, ah, he likes to eat. Yeah, yeah exactly. Isn't that he's hilarious? Like, and he's like, in case uh, someone cuts in front of me, a Burger King or something. It's yeah. just like always, just these self-degrading things about him being fat, and he's not even that fat in gro- in the first grown-ups. Yeah, no, and and I feel bad for him too because he. he uh, a lot of comments made about grown-ups is that like kevin james took chris farley's place like if chris farley oh. was still alive that would be him no he's and not doing chris farley shit at all yeah he's like he's he's good enough no in his one own can right. do chris farley yeah shit. uh yeah i mean they definitely don't use chris rock like well at all like it's almost like ridiculous sometimes because he's just like there yeah and he's like <laughs> And he, he, every, like, occasionally he'll say something, like, he'll be like, I don't know how anybody's going to get some sleep with Toby Bryant in here, you know, making <laughs> fun of, like, the mom. And, and and it's, like, the one thing he says, at, like, every few scenes. And yeah. so you're just, like, kind of like, hmm, well, he's easily one of the greatest comedians, you know, like, what a, what a waste. But <laughs> it, at least he's still there. Yeah. Um, and you're kind of like, all right, that that's cool, at least that he's here. Um, I would say that the funniest guy is probably Rob Schneider, um, especially the bit uh, where he's singing like Ave Maria in the church uh, <laughs> when the coach has died. Yeah. <laughs> like that's one of those like things where it happened, you know, like a million times in the movie, something happens and then like the cast laughs at it and you're just like, why are they always laughing at their own jokes? But in that moment when they're laughing at you're like, oh, yeah, I mean, this works. Like yeah. them laughing at him. And it's actually like a really funny thing uh, that Rob Schneider is doing at the same time. Like, yeah, it's a, mm-hmm. probably probably one of the overall, like, the best laugh out loud uh, scene of the film. Yeah. Uh, he definitely plays the most um, unique and weird character. Yeah. Most of oh, them are kind sure. of normal, normal. They guys, are. And, yeah. and they're just making fun of him. Uh, yeah the whole time and normally i'm not a huge rob schneider fan um but with you know with adam sandler and all those guys and them making fun of him it almost seems like real life like in real life i could see all these guys hanging out and just making fun of rob schneider the whole time yeah yeah so that's the nice. first grown-ups yeah so grown-ups then... one. <laughs> <laughs> i watched the second grown-ups so I can give you the inside scoop on Grown Ups too. Yeah, I haven't seen so, it yet. This is new. It, um, I, I first I want to I want to look up the Amazon description of Grown Ups too because it really describes the film in the most perfect way. 
Uh, let's see here. Okay. Yeah. All right. This is the this is the description of Grown Ups Two. The All Star Comedy Cast from Grown Ups returns with some exciting new additions. Wow. That's it. All That's right. It. And, and that is not a that is you cannot think have a better uh, like log line <laughs> for this movie because yeah it, that it is nothing new. There's no story. <laughs> Go, there's even less story in Grown Ups 2 than in the first Grown Ups. Um, it's an achievement. Basically, the only thing that's happened is Adam Sandler and his family have moved to his hometown, the the lake country. Whoa, spoilers. Yeah, easy, I mean, you easy. know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know that at the beginning, though. Like, they <laughs> fade in on the house, and there's, like, this horrible uh, CGI deer in the house and, and Adam's like, get it out of here. (laughs) And, um, and so then, so then he takes like his kids to school. Um, he takes his kids to school. He ends up driving the bus because, um, (laughs) he he ends up, uh, he ends up driving the bus because the, the bus driver was too intoxicated, uh, to drive the bus. Uh, I, I'm trying to, pull out to the actor who plays the bus driver um it's not worth mentioning but he's a really goofy guy who's in a lot of like adam sandler stuff and um other comedies and so he he ends up like you know he drives his kids to school then he picks up chris rock and kevin james on the way they end up like going to kmart together and just shooting the shit and running errands or whatever and on and on their and on their way they like meet up with David Spade eventually. It, this is basically like a day in the life in this guy and these guys just like living hmm. in this in this small town and I feel like they they got the small town vibe like really well cuz they're always doing just really basic shit and you kind of see the same characters around um and what's funny about it is it's a small town, but everyone in here is like a suit, a super Hollywood star. Um, <laughs> like, like they go get ice cream and, uh, Colin Quinn's there serving them ice cream. And Adam's like, this was a good job in high school. Maybe not my whole life. <laughs> he just gives <laughs> Colin Quinn shit about bad his life is. And, uh, Shaq is in the movie. Oh, and he plays one of the cops and you see him all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so like literally there's nothing happening in this movie. Just bit. It's just jokes after jokes. And and, uh, when there are and there are some ridiculous like there's some ridiculous physical comedy and just some jokes that people will say out of nowhere where you will just laugh really hard. (laughs) Like it's, there's some really funny things in this movie. Um, and it all kind of builds to a party that Adam Sandler throws at his house where the whole town is there. Um, and kind of like a fight scene between this frat run by Taylor Lautner um and like all of adam sandler's friends and they just get in this fight and then uh uh yeah the movie just sort of ends after that (laughs) and i i'm really like i i pretty much told you all basically everything that happens like because everything else is just filler jokes it's just jokes uh 
Yeah. So, Grown Ups 2, I would say, is more laid back than the first one, for <laughs> sure. Um, you miss Rob Schneider a little bit, but um, I think it still has just so much. It has enough star power to keep you in it. And um, I would say, overall, it is funnier than the first one. Really? For sure. Wow. For sure. I would say, overall, it's funnier. Okay, now I now I got to see it. It's dumber. It's dumber, but it's funnier. (laughs) (laughs) That's usually what. That's usually what it that means nowadays. (laughs) Like the dumber, the funnier the comedy movie is. They work so hard in the first one. You know, the next one's got to be a little bit more laid back. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They're still burnt out from the first one. Yeah, it came out I think three years before. So yeah, they they just got to settle down and just yeah, just be funny this time. You know, not worry so much about plot. So many ridiculous bids happen, and I would love to recall more, but I just like I don't remember. (laughs) I don't remember any of them. (laughs) They just all fall out. Yeah. Well, that's still great. Cause there's yeah, definitely... I would say I recommend Grown Ups 2, which probably nobody does. No, <laughs> I'm going to check it out. Cause I, <laughs> yeah. There are definitely some more modern Sandler movies that aren't enjoyable at all. Um, yeah, and I've seen some of the Netflix uh, Happy Madison films. Mm-hmm, yeah. And compared to like compared to those, like this is like an incredible movie. Because <laughs> those are fucking unwatchable. Yeah, I I cannot stand the ridiculous six. Uh, it's there's no redeeming qualities to it at all. It's not funny in the slightest. But something like, you know, grown ups, I can get behind. That's what I'm saying. Um, like so we're yeah. down, we're into grown ups, which no one really likes. But like, yeah, it just shows how those Netflix movies are really, uh, really bad because we're yeah. not very we're not very hard to please. Yeah. But no matter what the quality is of an Adam Sandler movie, people are gonna are gonna watch it. He's just yeah. he's just massive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, nice. That's uh yeah, a nice glowing review of the Grown Ups <laughs> franchise, which hopefully I, will turn I would I, if they made a third, I would see it in theaters <laughs> probably. <laughs> I, Adam Sandler's been doing a ton of uh, these appearances on like late night shows on YouTube now. That I've been yeah, watching yeah, all. Yeah. He, he's, I mean, he's just as relevant as ever. It was, yeah, it was a big Sandler year, yeah, for sure. And next month, um, Uncut Gems hits Netflix. So, for anyone out there who hasn't seen it yet, easily accessible right there. Man, whew, that movie's gonna blow up on Netflix. Oh yeah, it'll be huge, especially because most people are still gonna be uh, staying at home. So, yeah, yeah, that'll and probably. Probably not everyone saw it because not everyone goes to the movies. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but the fact that it's on Netflix and it's so hyped and it has ever you know, there's so much hype around it and Adam Sandler's and I feel like everyone's gonna watch it. It's gonna blow up, yeah. That'll be the next big thing in May, for sure. Um, all right. Well, I'll move on to something uh that I watched recently, and this is a movie that's as opposed to uh, as opposed to Grown Ups, uh, I did not like, and uh, <laughs> it's called Blue Hawaii. Uh, uh, the Elvis, the Elvis Presley, Elvis film. Presley movie, right. which I watched completely on a whim. I was not planning on watching it; just saw it on Amazon Prime that it was like a newly added movie, and I was like, "Whoa, this is 
one of those you know elvis movies from back in the <laughs> yeah, day yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i, I guess felt I'll that watch. sometimes I, i've had that exact feeling i'm like oh of course i want to see the elvis movies <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know <laughs> but i've <laughs> never actually sat down and watched one yeah it was it's weird because i had no i in the past year I probably haven't even thought about Elvis or watching the Elvis movie, <laughs> but in this small moment, I was like, "I think I'm about Elvis literally never." And yeah. yeah, and then and then you're stuck in it for like a couple hours. Yeah, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest. It's it started out as something that I knew was so ridiculous, but I was gonna enjoy it, and then it just drags, and it's yeah. It's such a, a such a drag, man. <laughs> but it, Elvis Presley is just like this not human person. I when you watch yeah. him in a movie, I just can't imagine what was this guy like in just real life. Yeah, just at home sitting on the couch. What was he? I cannot imagine. He's just like a normal person. It's just too much cool. It's yeah. just all ridiculous. Even his look, like he looks fake. He doesn't look yeah. like a real person. He looks CGI. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the movie starts out where uh, Elvis comes home from the war and his <laughs> his lady's waiting for them. You know, he lives in Hawaii, so he's coming back home to Hawaii. His lady's waiting for him. The doors to the airplane open and he's just making out with the flight attendant. Just wow. making out, and his and his girlfriend is just staring at him to do this, <laughs> and then he turns and he's like, "Oh, what? Sorry, mama." You know, he's like, "Oh, you know, that's just yeah. one of my one of my charms, one of my quirks is that I just make out with all these other women." And then she's like mad at him for two seconds, and then she's like, "Oh, you rascal! Oh, just always <laughs> cheating on me. I can't believe yeah. you, Elvis. Such a guy. Yeah, it's so cute <laughs> when you cheat on me like that. Right. Yeah, and then that's basically the whole movie is just." Elvis singing these random songs, wooing, uh, wooing people, uh, these songs that everyone knows, uh, and then his girlfriend getting mad at him, and then them, you know, coming back together and realizing that they're they're still a strong couple no matter mm. how much Elvis cheats on her, uh, or or talks about how much he wants. He openly is like talking to his girlfriend about how attracted he is to all these other girls, and she's like, "Oh, stop it." And he's just he's just a terrible guy throughout the whole thing. <laughs> the only good thing he does is a 17-year-old girl tries to, like, seduce him, and he turns her down. So the, <laughs> the only good thing he does. He but, turns down sex once in the movie. Yes. And, and thankfully, those are really cringy scenes where this 17-year-old girl is just getting way too... Ah, uh, yeah, it's, it's just weird. And uh, and the, the whole movie is basically Elvis is... Uh, you know he's wanting to become his own man now that he's home from the war, but his 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 dad really wants him to take over their pineapple business because um, of course these white people who move to Hawaii and take over the pineapple. They have the pineapple industry, yeah, <laughs> and then make all the natives suffer. Yeah, so uh, I I didn't think it was completely terrible because I did honestly like some of the music and I thought the music was kind of fun and there was some fun. Uh, yeah, some fun little numbers in it, but uh, yeah. ultimately just a very out of touch, weird, bad movie from uh, yeah 1961. That's it's you can kind of you can kind of tell why people recognize it because it's Elvis and he's you know this otherworldly right. type of star, but you know why 
you know a lot of people haven't seen it or don't you know talk about it nowadays yeah um i feel like every elvis movie uh i think most of them take place in hawaii yeah that's i remember i think i remember watching full house and they have this whole thing where they talk about like like uh, john stamos is obsessed with this elvis thing in hawaii and that's a different um that that was a that wasn't blue hawaii that they referenced in that so there's definitely more than one um elvis yeah. hawaii movie uh, but yeah this one had he, he like, did it before uh he did it before adam sandler did it yeah this this is the original uh it'd be cool to make movies in hawaii yeah with all my friends and all my ladies yeah uh but yeah there's some cool there's some cool driving and cool 50s cars around hawaii i i like that stuff i like that stuff in some of the songs but the, everything else was just crap uh, <laughs> so yeah it's on amazon prime if you're curious enough like so, i was then you can check it out but uh yeah that's you uh you watch wild at heart right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. the uh nick cage david lynch yeah movie, right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i one of my favorite scenes ever is uh when Nick Cage sings to Laura Dern in that club after like beating the shit out of the guy to yeah. get off him, I forget what that song. It's just that one Elvis song, and the like the light like erupts around Elvis around Nick Cage and uh, he really Laura looks Dern. like Elvis in that scene too. Yeah, yeah, and he sounds like Elvis and <laughs> yeah. Laura Dern. It's just it's just like <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's that's one of my favorite scenes. Yeah, um, ever. Maybe that's Suspicious Minds or something like that. Yeah, I can't remember the, the name oh of the, the, song. the oh the song yeah. yeah I don't know I can't I remember the s- names of any of the songs from this movie too but every there are songs that everyone knows yeah yeah and then at the end of uh, Wild Heart he sings uh he sings like Love Me Tender as like the credits mm. roll Love yeah that shit too so Elvis is always is always sometimes present in cinema if not directly yeah I mean, he's one of the 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 biggest stars ever I think this is the first. Uh, movie i've seen with elvis presley acting in it so uh, yeah i i've seen them like worth, when my know. parents were watching them you know but i never like you know like sat down you know in my own time yeah uh and watched them and then logged it you know on letterbox or, yeah. any, or, or anything so one day yeah one day probably uh, yeah. will probably will drink alcohol while i while i do it too. yes i was i was Seems in a- like well, in a different of state of mind when i watched it if that makes sense <laughs> i was shit-faced <laughs> <laughs> which made it more enjoyable it didn't make me like it more but made it more enjoyable not the movie but my my the had way i time. felt <laughs> yeah i still had a good time <laughs> felt better to sit there though yeah yeah you uh, could tolerate it more yeah yeah so I All guess right. our next film could be uh, Barking Dogs Never Bite. Let's do Barking Dogs Never Bite, yeah. The Bong Jang Hu flick. Yes. If anyone's out out there is looking for some bong movies, if you really like Parasite, there's a bunch of bongs on uh, on Hulu now. So Yeah, um, and this is maybe his first movie. Yeah, I think maybe. it might have been. Yeah. Two, came out in 2000. Yeah, I think that. I don't know if he had a movie before then memories of murder might have been before that but uh anyway yeah it's one of the one of the first bongs and uh i would say after the past year uh, i've just watched a ton of bong movies because of parasite and this one felt different than all of them but still had that 
sort of Bong Joon-ho comedic yeah, feel in yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. But it's, this one has definitely felt more of a straightforward comedy than uh, his other ones, uh, if you could if you could say that. Um, and at, at times, I don't know about you, if basically if you don't know what it's about, essentially um, this this guy is just getting sick of this dog's constant barking in his uh, apartment yeah. complex. So he decides to do something to take care of that. And it's very yep. brutal. <laughs> and uh, I don't know about you, yeah. but at times it felt like a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode where <laughs> this guy is just so like, so fed up He's with so this on dog edge. that yeah. he'll go to any length to get rid of it. And then it turns out uh, it was the wrong dog in the end. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And, chaos ensues yeah it's it's funny how he just you just keep seeing this guy just like kill dogs yeah it's i was legitimately um turning away from the the tv at points when he's holding a dog like over the ledge and i have to remind myself in the beginning it says no yeah no animals were harmed yeah it's like my god this guy is is insane he's going insane that he would uh yeah, you don't see Go that ever uh, in movies. Yeah, like like that you see everything in movies, <laughs> like literally everything. Yeah. <laughs> but killing dogs like is like almost an untouched thing. But in this movie, it's like it's not only used as like a plot device, but it's also just like the movie you could tell thinks it's really funny whenever a dog is killed. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's not something I'm used to because I feel like in um in American society here in this country um <laughs> yeah we're we're so like you know just uh just like you know like have hearts in our eyes whenever there's a dog anywhere oh, so yeah just the idea of someone killing a dog or like eating a dog is just like. It's weird, yeah. It's it felt yeah, almost both strange. things happen in in this movie too. Yeah, it, it felt strange, like when to like laugh at like seeing the dog like flying off the <laughs> off yeah. the building and stuff like that. Yeah, I I definitely fall into the camp of, um, you know, like in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I thoroughly enjoyed watching Brad Pitt, you know, beat the living shit out of these people, um, but seeing just seeing. Um, the main character in Barking Dogs Never Bite hold the dog over the edge. I was yeah. like, ooh, I do not feel good about this right now. I Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah, and then like the grab grabbing the dead dog like by the neck guy mm. and just like laying him the maintenance guy just kinda lays him out. Yeah. And uh yeah, it's extremely unsettling uh, and comedic, which uh which I guess makes up for it being uh, being unsettling is that it's uh, also you know a comedy. Yeah, it's done with very good, uh, very good humor. Yeah, because um, because otherwise, yeah, this this movie just doesn't work at all. But uh, the 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 lead is very much this sort of pathetic guy, and seeing what he does to just something so minimal that uh, that annoys him and just his misadventures and yeah it's um yeah it was, a, it was a solid movie it's not my favorite bong movie for sure but uh still definitely a quality yeah. quality movie i like the way they like shot this apartment complex it all feels mm-hmm. very just i don't know i like it's just a kind of like a nice community 
to be yeah. a part of besides the fact that they kill dogs <laughs> and, <laughs> uh and yeah I, yeah the, it, there's just a lot of really cool sh- shots on the building in general and it just you get a great uh you get a great sense of location and just mm-hmm. like how and how everything that happens is on this building and um like, like there's 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 the scene where the girls just like and him are just getting on the fight on the balcony i I, scene, I thought yeah. that yeah it's really funny um yeah yeah and there's there's a lot of shots too that reminded me that you know it's a bong joon ho movie because he's not the totally. only one to do this but there's like in the beginning there's like this wide shot of the apartment complex and then right right you know, like right behind the guy that one yep yep because i like pans from left to right yeah, and it reminded me of of scenes in Parasite. Um, yeah, too, yeah, because so. like in Parasite, like the house is such a character, and in this exactly the, this giant apartment building with all these people packed in is the character, and like you kind of get a sense of like just people like you know kind of roaming through an area at a time on just like a very communal feeling. Like yeah. that scene where the the guy's like cook about to cook the dog, the, he makes the dog stew, and then the other guy comes through and just like. Yeah it needs some of this <laughs> you know, like as he's eating it and then he eats the whole thing. Yeah. Just little things like that. Yeah. I just really like that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So go check out some, uh, more Bong Joon-ho movies on Hulu. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I'm probably going to watch uh mother eventually. Nice. On Hulu. Another good one. I haven't seen a Bong Joon-ho movie that I didn't like so far. So I yeah, still see definitely. Okja. So I'll probably add that to my list for yeah. uh, quarantine. Yeah. All right. So I think I have I have one more. Uh, I think I have one more as well. Yep. And uh, so my last one is another comedy, um, except I did not like it. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. It, it is the Green Hornet. Ah, uh, Seth, Seth Rogen, Rogen's right? yeah. superhero comedy, which is um, well known uh, to be a failure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like going in, I, I knew this, um, <laughs> it's there, it's kind of like one of those where, uh, Seth, Seth and his like crew, they had just made super bad. They had just made pineapple express, both more like indie move, more indie ish movies that kind of just blew up. Mm-hmm. And so this movie very much feels like a blank check. Mm, yeah, because uh, they were very much allowed to do uh, whatever they want <laughs> wanted, and there's like all these like chase scenes where the car is shooting machine guns and stuff like that. There's a lot of budget um, in this movie. Um, and is this a Marvel movie? Is no, Green Hornet a Marvel? No, character? I don't. No, it's not. I didn't okay. see. I'm only saying that because I did not see. You know, the comic book strip. You the know, marvel going. logo yeah, yeah. exactly mm-hmm. um i don't know what co- graphic novel uh it's uh company this is associated with but i know it's based off a graphic novel mm-hmm. um well where to start on this um so <laughs> and i think also oh yeah i was about to say uh like i think that i think uh definitely after this movie too we became more used to um, bigger budget Seth Rogen movies where it kind of became a lot about uh, set piece comedy, if you will. <laughs> mm-hmm. I I invented that term just now. 
no one's ever used it um <laughs> but yeah where like you really feel the but like this is a studio uh comedy um so yeah like i would say this is like the first big movie after seth rogan really like blew up and yeah it's it's really rough it's mm-hmm. um seth rogan kind of plays this uh and he this he's like an an inheritor of a uh a giant newspaper company and so he's like loaded and one day his dad dies so he's like left with it but he he's like really just kind of like a shitty seth rogan's like a shitty lazy dude who never respected his dad and all this shit so he wants to do nothing with the newspaper Mm -hmm. business and his dad kind of like informs seth at the beginning like crime is insane in los angeles or something like that (laughs) um and so one day seth is kind of like seth's kind of like whoa the coffee tastes bad and he goes to his um he goes to his maid and he's like why does the coffee taste bad and he's like and he the maid's like you fired your staff yesterday and he's like well get the guy who makes the coffee back here (laughs) and so the guy who the guy who makes seth the coffee is this asian dude uh played by jay chow um Hmm. and they I would say that they hit it off when he comes back, um, but they don't because their chemistry is horrible uh, for the entire movie. This guy, Jay Chow, is like a martial artist, uh, clearly like a martial artist who's in this movie for his kung fu abilities, Um, but he is just so not good at acting, like can barely speak English as as the movie goes on. Um, and then he's opposite Seth the whole time who clearly speaks English very well. Um, and so they, uh, Seth basically finds out that this guy can do all this stuff. Like he's like brilliant. Like he shows him all these designs for these cars that, um, that like can shoot guns and just for like all this like superhero stuff almost like he's in, like you know the the fox to his batman mm-hmm. and seth and jay chow basically we just go out and start fighting crime just like out of nowhere yeah i was gonna say um, why <laughs> yeah just out of nowhere out of nowhere seth just kind of like has this long monologue where he's like like why don't we save people, you know, like they, they kind of accidentally save people one night and Jay Chow like just beats the shit out of all these criminals while Seth sort of kind of like helps. And he's always kind of flailing around going like, Oh my God, you know, like, this is happening. And that's like Seth's whole thing of acting. He's like, that was so crazy. <laughs> you know? Um, and then the later Seth's like, why don't we do that every night? You know? And, um, and it's just the story just kind of moves like that like the whole time it's mm. just those things kind of just happen always um and it's just kind of this dynamic put between seth and jay chow as like the kind of myth for the green hornet uh develops and their chemistry is always bad and <laughs> And the movie kind of tries to have some conflicts between the two of them where they have like, you know, disagreements and, or, and stuff like that. And 
and like it's always awful because like seth is just always yelling at him and jay chow can barely speak english and he and he always so seth's just like kind of just looks like he's being a real major asshole to this guy always um there is one fight scene where they there's a scene where they fight and jay chow is kind of like just continuously um like beating up seth and it goes on forever it's kind of similar to that the fight scene in pineapple express between franco and danny mcbride and seth where it just goes on and on and it's hilarious that scene is really funny and i will not go as far to say that the green horn isn't funny it definitely is funny a lot of the sometimes but it's just so bad and and tough it's really difficult to watch mm. it's very difficult like you like you said with the elvis movie like part of the way yeah. through i was like all right i'm gonna i'm gonna drink get a drink during so i can get through the rest of mm. rest of this movie yeah i feel like seth rogan's uh made fun of himself for the green hornet uh, yeah. and stuff that i've seen since then which is uh which is funny i'm looking at the cast though and christoph waltz He's the bad guy. This? Wow. Yeah, he's the bad guy, and he is. Yeah, and it's so. It's supposed to be like right after Inglorious Bastards, too. Yeah, this after the guy huge blew cast up. Then, yeah. Yeah, and Chris, Christoph Waltz is. Yeah, he's just way too good of an actor for this movie, um, and it's always kind of just funny that he's there, um, doing bad guy things. I would say the most offensive thing in this movie is the to go off your point about the big cast is the use of cameron diaz as seth's secretary is just awful it's really? just so bad that cam they use the way they use cameron diaz you've been seeing all, a lot of cameron diaz movies Weird yeah i cameron feel diaz like I, <laughs> I feel like i have um yeah because all seth does is talk about how smoking hot she is and cameron diaz's character is like actually she's actually like this like really smart girl who kind of like knows everything like like how you know i don't know i guess how society works usually and she ends up giving like they end up kind of using her for all the ideas for the green hornet by just going like so what do you think the green hornet will do next and she says what they'll do next and they do that thing (laughs) but then they just end up like they end up hitting on her so much in the movie including jay chow like jay chow like I think goes to Cameron Diaz's house in a scene. Uh, she like invites him over because I think, I think there's a point where she like gives the hint that she's attracted to him for some reason. And she's like, play, he's like playing the piano with her, like sitting on a piano bench. And he like puts his arm around her as he's playing the piano. It's just, it's really weird. And there are multiple times where Seth Rogen just kind of shows up at cameron diaz's house like 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 the cuts are so awkward and weird in this movie there's like a cut from like a scene with christoph waltz where he's being evil and then it just shows seth rogan like like pacing pacing up to uh cameron diaz's like back like sliding door on the porch and he just like shows up there and she's like oh my god what are you doing he's like i'm sorry (laughs) and that happens like multiple times where they just show up at her house and it's just such an awkward avert cut um yeah that's like trespassing yeah like yeah like the movie the movie really tries hard to like be paced really well but some of the cuts are really awkward and 
and and like things in the story just progress so quickly that it doesn't feel like a story um yeah the green horror is 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 horrible (laughs) it's it's horrible i've never um i've never like felt put that on the dvd a rogan movie is like like bad um Mm -hmm. i've had like problems with seth rogan's movies like definitely i would say like the interview is a tough movie to watch at times not a great movie yeah yeah not great and another blank check for sure but i i still would i can sit down and watch the interview and i like there's a lot of things to enjoy Mm -hmm. the green horn is just a rough rough watch wow and it's even directed by michelle gondry who did like eternal sunshine of the spotless mind right this seems like a, a weird movie for him to do as opposed to the rest it, of his filmography. It just filmography. seems like they had so much uh, momentum uh, like going for them in the industry that they just got whatever they wanted, but yet that they just made something. And I think they made something that was very close to them too, but um, yeah, I think they just like went a little too far. Yeah. Wow, weird. And this is kind of around the time when like iron man was taking over the world so Mm -hmm. like yeah the marvel movies were really starting to gain traction so i'm sure they wanted to piggyback on that momentum but yeah i haven't heard any good things about the green hornet which is part of the reason i haven't seen it yet but yeah yeah i don't know if i'll uh i don't think your review really got me itching to see it anymore so (laughs) (laughs) yeah well, uh, should we move on to? Oh, wait a second. You gotta go. I got one more before we get to our last. Yes. Overlap. So, uh, our last overlap, I I enjoyed. So, it'll make up for talking about another bad movie that I didn't enjoy. Uh, <laughs> but I saw Bedazzled, which is a Harold Ramis directed movie, uh. starring. Uh, I mean, just. The face of the late 90s and early 2000s, Brendan Fraser uh, and Elizabeth Hurley. Mm. And this is one I thought that has the potential to be a fun comedy from, you know, 2000. Um, Really just mindless and enjoyable. And there were parts where it was, but for the most part, it wasn't really at all. Um, and Brendan Fraser is, uh, someone who I actually thoroughly enjoy seeing him in movies. I actually enjoy, you know, the mummy. Mm-hmm. That's uh, just like yeah. good old fashioned adventure that's movie. From I, that time. Wow. You just reminded me. That's something I really would love to rewatch. Cause as a kid, it was the craziest thing. Yeah. And I, I rewatched it uh, a couple years ago and I, I was like, yeah, this is a fun, solid adventure movie. Um, yeah as a kid it of... was like the craziest thing i yeah. saw it when i was like five. Oh yeah <laughs> and i was I... like oh my god look at this movie this is the it's scariest huge. movie yeah it was so scary i just remember seeing the trailers for it too the original one and thinking oh my god that's so scary yeah. um so yeah brendan fraser is a really likable likable guy and uh in this movie he is just super annoying his character is really annoying from the beginning and that's the whole point of him is that he you know he annoys all the people he's with all his co-workers um but it, it doesn't make you think like oh this you know this poor guy he doesn't have a lot of friends 
um you you know you should feel you should feel bad for him he's no he's just legitimately super annoying and you don't want to be around him at all uh and he's also kind of a a hunky guy in this world too playing just a complete idiot nerd Mm. um and elizabeth hurley comes in and she's the devil and she's like i'm gonna give you everything that you want you know you just you get all these wishes and so he gets all these wishes and he it you can kind of tell exactly where it's going it's right you get all these wishes to get everything you want and then he realizes well he doesn't want all that that doesn't bring him happiness yeah. uh in the end and there are parts where it is uh a little charming and uh and funny too i didn't completely hate it uh i guess but it just really isn't isn't funny at all it's definitely um this is like the very height of brendan Fraser's fame and elizabeth hurley was big at the time too like she had just been in austin powers i think mm-hmm. um and uh yeah i don't know it, it it wasn't uh i don't even know if this is something i saw when i was younger um you know back in the day if i would have liked either uh, there's nothing really memorable uh about it except for elizabeth hurley who she is very like uh seductive and um interesting she's the most interesting character there for sure uh but ultimately i it's just kind of flat and dull and this uh, this dragged even more than uh than blue hawaii i think too (laughs) it kind of you can tell a half an hour in where it's going and just like okay let's just get there yeah and get this uh and get this done with um yeah yeah it's a good summary of your the time you've wasted watching some crappy movies this past week they seem so intriguing at first and like, oh, this will at least be a fun, fun thing. I've been to watch. where you are though, like like do you just see one thing about it, you're like, Oh, Harold Ramis. I'll watch that. Yeah, yeah. Harold Ramis. Um oh Elvis. An Elvis movie sounds weird and interesting, you know. Yeah. I'll, I'll check that out too. And then yeah, it's kind of swinging uh kind of been swinging and missing there. But uh <laughs> still glad I've uh I've seen Bedazzled now because it's one that I've been interested in seeing just because there's the poster is like kind of iconic. It's based on the movie that came out in like the 60s or 70s with uh, Raquel Welch. I think it it did make me want to go back and see that one just um, for comparison's sake. Yeah, because it might be good. Yeah, right. Because it might be good, which is why they, you know, try to remake it for, uh, you know, modern audiences. But yeah. Uh, I, I wouldn't recommend if you're just curious about it, I wouldn't recommend it, but if you've really been wanting to watch it, then go for it. But, uh, it made me remember that as much as I love Harold Ramis, he also did, you know, something like year one, um, and, <laughs> yeah. and which this. has no, no, there's no reason to watch year one. No. Yeah. Not even, uh, not even for Jack Black and Michael Sarah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's be dazzled. It's, uh, didn't bedazzle me it did yeah exactly (laughs) but uh yeah the other overlap movie we did did dazzle me yes Uh, if we want to just jump into that (laughs) the crimson kimono crimson kimono is a uh sam fuller pulp noir and i i yeah I, i i think pulp is a key word in describing uh this film uh, as a pulp noir because it is not like other noirs and how it's like brutally thrilling and intense it's more of uh 
it's a little more hangout hangouty like uh like yeah. like grown-ups or <laughs> uh <laughs> or pulp fiction um and because because like pulp fiction is one of the only things i've seen that that i can classify as like pulpy <laughs> yeah it's um, in the name i i kept like just trying to compare this movie uh to pulp fiction as i was watching it um just like as just some frame of reference um you know i'd say there's some similarities but definitely not like they're they're definitely unique from each other but uh uh yeah like yeah the i liked the crimson kimono it took me a little to like uh like it took me a little to get into it because it was it's very uh it's different i feel like than a lot of noirs mm-hmm. and a lot of mysteries um but it's it's a very uh it's also very uh rewarding at the same time and it's just it's just very good <laughs> yeah i i was a little different i right away i kind of loved it uh and i think it's because of the uh you know the the stylized stuff it's like yeah ooh, los angeles 19 whatever exactly. like yeah. this music yeah. and i was like all right and then they're talking like this like right, oh, yeah right, right, like right. we're in a movie um yeah. yeah i was i was in it for i guess material stylistic reasons um, yeah that's a, and that's what it is it's all yeah mm-hmm. it's material and style yeah yeah and i think this is a, a very woke movie for 1959 um and it's it's the opposite of blue hawaii <laughs> it <laughs> Um, and I also wanted to bring up, well, first of all, Crimson Kimono is a very cool name for a movie. Yes. <laughs> Especially a cool name for an old no- noir like this. But I was looking at the poster today and um, it said the movie is much more woke than the poster makes it seem. Because in the poster, in the, oh, yeah, 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 I think you know what I'm, where line. I'm going. Yeah. Joe, the Japanese detective, is kissing the christine the white girl in it and (laughs) the tagline says yes this is a beautiful american girl in the arms of a japanese boy (laughs) yeah right. that is the tagline for the movie and if you think (laughs) about it like this is one of the first like times in uh classic hollywood where you see an interracial couple yeah weirdly i can't yeah I, i can't think of any other movie from you know especially the 50s where there's an interracial couple and you know this says american girl and japanese boy but joe is american he's i know know, of japanese descent but he doesn't have an accent yeah Yeah, he's an american accent he's been a detective in the u.s for a right he's had a career i feel like (laughs) the studio was just like we gotta we gotta like you know like just get this out there just so people know what they're getting into because we're yeah. not we're not really sure how they're gonna feel about this yeah maybe that'll cause some controversy and some more buzz about it right because exactly. i felt like it, i felt like it was kind of a uh i don't know a, um kick to the groin to sam fuller for doing this very right he probably i I have a feeling like the creative people behind this were like i can't believe that's on the poster you know no I could see that being, uh, you know, an argument between them. They're like, we got to sell tickets. Yeah, know? exactly. And then there's like, that's not what the movie's about. Yeah. Yeah. Like stop emphasizing that he's Asian and that she's American. Yeah. Yeah. It's in in like, the movie, they even, you know, they come to terms with like, some of the characters kind of accept some of the racial um, 
prejudices they've even had you know, on yeah. both sides. Yeah. And they admit that that's something that's bothered them uh, in a way. And uh, yeah, I mean, on Salvo just being a really solid noir, it is also a very progressive romance. Yeah, I love both scenes where uh, both love triangle scenes between Victoria Shaw and the two uh, detectives like they were those were two scenes where I was just like extremely captivated with um what was going on like um I believe I believe it was um Glenn Corbett is the the white man <laughs> who loses it to the <laughs> Japanese boy uh and, and that the scene where she's like painting him and he's like doing the very like classic like hitting on the girl thing and he's just got the cigarette in his mouth like i just thought that was yeah it was really cool and clever and just felt very aware of like traditional like hitting on the girl scenes um but then the the scene between the scene between um james shigeta and uh victoria <laughs> shaw <laughs> and, and victoria shaw is like actually like a really um like a really beautiful scene where they're just discussing art and and stuff like that and it's a very just vulnerable scene and uh i'm pretty sure for some reason i say this a lot and i don't even remember it specifically but i'm pretty sure there's very good music in that scene oh yeah because <laughs> like oh, yeah. there's a lot of good music in this movie I, i'm pretty sure yeah and they had great chemistry too between yeah. them yeah and, and victoria shaw is just fantastic in this movie mm-hmm. uh overall and not necessarily a typical like femme fatale in a it's noir not a movie typical either. broad, you know. No, she's not some typical white broad, you know. Yeah, that's that's who they're trying to sell it to. They're trying to sell it to guys who'd be like, "Hey, you want to go see this movie? This Japanese guy falls in love with a white broad." Yeah, isn't that wild? If yeah. ever. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, but she's not like this. Like, oh, what are you gonna do? Kiss me? Like Humphrey Bogart, Lauren Bacall? Like, yeah, um, yeah, you know um dynamic between them but she's yeah she's very vulnerable and yeah um, and she has like her own feelings for both of these guys and yeah uh yeah it's just very fascinating stuff i would watch this i would watch this film again it was so like quick Mm -hmm. and uh enjoyable at the same time and um it was one where, and like you, like I think it, you said it, it clicked for you right away, and I think if I re- rewatched it, it would definitely, uh, the same thing would happen for me. Yeah, I, I liked it because it was, I, I'm a sucker for just those sort of bang like openings, like right. uh, in in classic movies, right? And right at from the get go, it gets into, um, you know this, um exotic dancer stripper i guess she's just a stripper yeah she goes like backstage and then person with a gun and they just start shooting and Mm -hmm. there's obviously like been a murder there i I like how it kind of jumps right into it yeah um so yeah it it caught me right away but uh it's and it's one that i would for sure watch again it's this was an easy watch for sure under 90 minutes and just solid throughout yeah yeah this is a definitely a really really solid uh classic noir movie oh yeah totally it's in that columbia noir uh uh thing which is back on the channel yeah i saw they brought that back for like the year anniversary of when they launched um which is crazy that it's been a year since since it's launched because i remember us like 
gearing up for being like uh, here it is yeah it's yeah. coming yeah and I, they've added so much since then too so yeah yeah it's the same stuff